Pod, and today we are talking about the power of choice, something we are completely passionate about at Oak Tree. And I'm joined by Kaz, our head of animal welfare, and we are absolutely delighted, honoured, and incredibly privileged to be joined by Shirag Patel, who is obviously the behaviour and training consultant at Domesticated Manners. Uh, Shirag, welcome. Lovely to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be able to do this. Fantastic. Shirag, for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about your background and, and why you love working with pets so much? Sure. So I've always loved animals, just a typical story of um, always loved animals, wanting to do something with them. And I got a German Shepherd when um, he was about seven months from a, a breeder who didn't want to keep him for breeding stock um, and um, walking him down the street. Um, this was over sort of 20 years ago, walking down the street, he grabbed hold of someone's arm and bit them. And so um, taking him to training classes really got me passionate about uh, behavior and training and learning and animals. And um, it's sort of the journey just kind of exploded from there. So um, that's where it kind of took me. And now I um, consult with multiple species from uh, beluga whales to dogs, dolphins, um, parrots, cats, um, and try and help improve their welfare when they're living under human care. So it's all about how can we give them the best we can give them to improve their welfare and lives so they can have the happiest lives under human care. I'm loving the beluga whales. It's precisely, I, I saw Cassie's eyes light up as well. I was like, you're loving the beluga whales. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so there's actually Sea Life Trust, which is uh, part of Sea uh, Life Centres, um, which are across the UK around the world. They took over an aquarium in China a few years ago, and um, there were a number of beluga whales there, and they don't believe in housing cetaceans in uh, under human care, under captivity. So they've take, undertaken a project to try and relocate these whales to a more naturalistic setting. And so um, I was involved with helping, they moved the whales to Iceland and they found an outdoor space. And so I went out to work with the team there um, as a senior trainer for a while, while they were teaching the whales to be able to um, happily move to the outdoor bay and um, how to adjust. So we spent a number of weeks teaching the whales to be comfortable and um, relaxed and learning how to use the space outdoors because they've always lived in an indoor setting uh, for many years. And so, um, yeah, that was a very cool project because talking about choice and control, teaching the whales that they have control over the environment and what they've learned so far is that there's more of a, like a pool type enclosure, which is very different to having birds flying over you, not having water temperature controlled. Um, and so there's so many variables. So teaching the whales they have control over that environment in some ways was a fantastic way to help them feel more relaxed and engaged. And I'm loving how that leads so beautifully into today's topic of choice. As you've just said, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, emotional regulation is so important for the animals that we uh, work with on a daily basis and having that option to choose and choice is so integral to the path that isn't it guys certainly is um i mean for us uh the animals that we get in are obviously moving to a very different environment to the one that they've come from so um they're already going to be unsettled uh, perhaps lacking confidence um and in some cases quite highly aroused when they come in <laughs> which Definitely. can be a bit of a handful um, we find that by giving them choice um, as far as we can, um, it helps to bring down those levels. It helps to build their confidence up so that they understand uh, for everything that's going on, they can anticipate uh, what the consequences are going to be or what's likely to happen next. And that really helps build up confidence for themselves and confidence in us and that trust. Mm -hmm. 
and um, it just helps keep the arousal levels manageable so that they can learn and we can involve them in training and move forward with them. And we see that not just in the shelter environment, we see that in the home environment. A lot of the, the training and behaviour consults we do in the home environment, actually having that ability to choose to do something allows you to make that regulation of your own emotions, to be able to control your own arousal level. So, for example, I don't have to sit in this spot, I don't have to do this activity. Therefore, I can actually control what I'm saying. And Shirag, how do you see that translated into your practice? I think the points you guys have made are fantastic because especially thinking about animals coming into a different environment, if they've been living in a home environment, they come into a shelter environment, how much sort of a difference there is. And for me, we can look at choice in many different ways and control. And I come from a behavior, sort of behavior science, uh, behavior analytic background um, and looking at it from that perspective. But motivations change and uh, moment to moment motivations can change. So, for example, if I wake up today and I've got a headache, uh, what I find rewarding or what I want to get away from or move towards can be different. If I'm sitting here for a while and I've got a cramp in my leg, um, again, what the motivation changes. So what um, what is reinforcing and rewarding in one moment isn't necessarily the same. So when I think about sort of giving animals control and choice, I don't necessarily think it's almost like a some kind of internal desire just pops out of nowhere i think these are physical things and biochemical things and by actually being more engaged and watching the animal and slowing down and going oh the animal wants to move now for a second rather than going no i've said you have to sit stay um, actually it could be that the animal has a ants in their pants or the animal has uh, back pain or the animal has arthritis and um, we get twitchy legs sometimes and our animals i'm sure get all of these different things too and so you mentioned emotional regulation early on and i think um how we interact with the world around us and the consequences that feed back in all affect the way we feel. And so by allowing the learner to be able to go, oh, I can just readjust and no one gets angry. Um, it doesn't become punishing, which can then become more conflicting, can suddenly help the animal regulate how they feel better because they can control things in the environment. And so I think control and choice is so important because um, it allows us to really learn and watch and see what's going on with the entire animal and things that we can't necessarily see inside the animal as well. It gives the animal the opportunity to be able to um, sort of um, be able to behave based on um, internal conditions. Absolutely. So when we see an animal come into Oak Tree, we obviously our first idea is to allow it to adjust to quite a stressful situation, although we do our best to make it as sort of calm, lovely as, and wonderful as possible. There is that situation. What's our process? Oak tree. So particularly for the dogs, for example, when they come in, um, in, in the more recent months, we've now set up an area uh, for free work. And so the dog's just taken into a very calm area with um, one of the handlers uh, who can sit at a laptop doing their own work and leave the dog to it. But it's a really useful tool to sort of get a handle on what the dog likes, what it doesn't like, if there is anything that it might be a little bit wary of or a little bit scared of. And it really allows the dog a period of time just to relax, do its own thing, entertain itself up to a point. Um, and, and it's worked really, really well with um, helping the dogs to settle when they come in, as well as giving us a steer uh, on how to deal with them as well. And in different ways, we do also do it with the cats and the horses as well. But you just let them, you watch yeah. them, you observe. And it's very much Get cat decompression time. Exactly. Really. And it's very much a cat-dog horse-animal-led yeah. process. Uh, it's a case of actually where is that animal emotionally? What does it need? Actually, does it want this interaction now? Is, what, what's it scared of? Get all those really powerful observations early on, which allow us to therefore make 
the right choices for that animal in terms of when is the right time for the veterinary care, when is the right time for the behavioural assessment, when, when do we need to actually start training, or actually do you just need to be a dog or do you just need to be a cat for a while? And, and do get we need to start training? Because I think it, it's really important sometimes, particularly when we have a lot of people who are sports-oriented yes. or competitive in, in some way with their pets, that some days, as Shirag was saying, you know, you might have a headache, you might not feel like doing it, and it's perfectly okay to turn around and say, do you know what, my animal's just not into it today, yeah. Let, let's knock it on the head, let's go and do something else. And it doesn't mean it's a bad animal mm. or it's deliberately being naughty. It's, head isn't in the game today, and it's perfectly fine to say, let's stop this activity, let's go and find something else to do. Well, exactly. I mean, usually example we had the other day, Kaz and I, as most of our regular listeners will know, love our scent work and love our man trailing. But we were, were out sort of working our dogs and having a bit of fun with them. Actually, Pop, who's my spaniel, was a case of, actually, I'm not in this today. I'm completely scatty. I don't want to do this. This is something I just want to go and skip over there. And it was a case of both of us looked at each other and went, okay, this is not the day to play this game. Let's go. Let's go back in. Let's have another, another thought of it. And we also need to remember that when we're looking at our animals going home, because often we get a phone call within sort of six hours of someone taking an animal home to their new environment. And this cat that was sort of friendly in the shelter was around, sort of in your, in, in your face, jumping over you, is now hiding under the sofa and going, okay, what's going on? Or ideally higher up. But So what would your advice be to somebody who's taking a pet home, Shirag? So I think it's really important to remember that these are living uh, creatures just like um, you and I. And so um, taking a step and just not thinking about the dog as just an object or something that um, you get and you do some obedience or competition with or you just have at home, they feel emotions, they have all of these different things and a cat. So I think it's really important to go, okay, um, when, in, when the environment changes, behavior changes. So what I saw in the shelter, there was predictability. The dogs learned that and cats learned that people feed at a certain time, maybe the type of food, maybe the routine of feeding. And when they go into a home, sometimes uh, people want to be nice or go, oh, the animal's in a home, I want to spoil them. And um, that's all great. And I think we should be giving our pets as many happy moments as we can. But we have to remember that if you, if you go from one environment where you live in a, a one bedroom flat or a house in the countryside and you move into central London uh, where there's a hustle and bustle of everything, suddenly you might not know, like going to a restaurant and ordering food, just standing in a queue and maybe the, the dialect slightly different. There's so many changes you have to navigate. And for our animals, although we might be going, you're in London now, you have so many choices. You, do, you don't just have one restaurant down the road, you have 50, um, but that just might be too much choice. And so um, I think what we have to remember is we want our animals to have as many smile moments, but we need to have treat each animal as an individual and go okay for this animal if I um, let's try and create familiar things so what worked well within the shelter environment um, they seem to enjoy um, two walks a day or then they like to come out and just spend time mooching around rather than going and running around with lots of other dogs so let's understand those little details what kind of bed did the dog choose to sleep on um, and this could work uh, vice versa so it could work a dog coming into a shelter environment and knowing some of that information but it could also work for the dog going out of the shelter environment I say dog but it could apply for any learner um, and so by understanding little things like that we could when we take them into our home we can set up the environment so they have some familiar objects some fi I think of it as smile moments so if I walk into a hotel um, and they've got a picture frame uh, in the hotel lobby and I have the same picture at home I walk in and go 
oh, I have that picture frame and suddenly there's an air of familiarity and I feel relaxed. So how can I set that for my dog? And some of the things I do is I might get some of the toys or cats, especially odors so important. I might get some um, cat bed that the cats learn to lie on in the shelter, take it home and cut it up into small pieces and put little bits around different rooms. So when the cat walks in and um, goes around the room, there's something that the cat goes, oh, I recognize that smell or oh, I recognize that furniture. And so little things like this can really help our learners feel more relaxed um, when they move into a new environment. And that can not just be from a shelter to a home environment, can it? It can actually just be if you're moving house. How many people move house and then the whole animal's world is so topsy-turvy um, because they've changed their home, they, but they've got familiarity with furniture. How can we lessen the impact of that um, big change of environment whilst keeping some familiarity? How can we lessen that change for our animals? So I think lessening the change is um, some of the things we just mentioned about slowing down, taking it in small steps, watching our dog's behavior, our cat's behavior, parrot's behavior and going, what are they doing differently um, today? Now, if I do something, I make a change. Say, for example, um, we go for a walk in the local park as opposed to a forest walk or we do a street walk instead of a forest walk. Then after that walk or even during the walk, what changes? Is my dog slightly more anxious or um, do they behave slightly more? Do they, do they behave differently when they get home? Are they more what people might describe as silly or um, do, are they running around? Because that could be a sign of, whoa, that was really stressful. So sometimes what people take a, a certain animal on a walk, come back after with their dog and the dog's running around doing play bows and people are like, oh, he's just being so silly. But actually, sometimes that silliness is just almost um, the um, fight, flight and um, don't not, not knowing what else to do and all, all of it coming together. So little things like that and understanding that actually um, they, that's all information that the learner is providing and just taking a step back and watching that and observing it and then maybe reaching back to, the, uh, to an expert or someone who knows and going, my dog's doing this, my cat's doing this, could you give me some tips? And that could be really useful. Absolutely. And it doesn't always have to be a big change that allows our animals to want to have choice. It could just be giving choice in a daily life. So some of our um, listeners will not be changing homes. They won't have got an animal from a shelter. It'll be an animal that's been in their family for a very long time. It's been quite a constant environment. Um, and so I was actually talking to Lorna, who's doing the technical side of what we're doing, uh, of our podcast today. And I'm going to drag you in now, love. Sorry. <laughs> Got to do that. Uh, but you were talking about some way you've given your cat some choice in home. So what, what have you done and why have you done it? Um, yeah, so one of the things that I did was I've created these two cat shelves and I've actually damaged myself in the process, which was quite funny. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I really love playing with my cats because it's actually really fun to give cats choice because, you know, they love exploring, they love adventuring, they can go and sniff around things. So building them things like shelves or getting cardboard boxes and building stuff out of them, cats absolutely love that type of thing. So all I did was build a couple of shelves to go on the walls that they can climb on from the sofa and just, you know, give them that bit of extra height as a bit of choice instead of just things on the ground. Absolutely, because cats love height. They love to be up high and survey. So you can guarantee if you've got a bookcase and it's a top one, your cat's going to be up there. So if you put your precious china on there, it's gone. And that's such a, and that's such a wonderful, um, easy thing that many people can do. And thinking about cats rather than just dogs, a lot of people think cats are what they you just have them in the house and they they just kind of 
deal with themselves. You don't have to do much. But like you say, Lorna, it's just amazing just putting up some shelves. And even with the shelves, you could have maybe um, two different surfaces on the shelf. So you could have some fake grass. You could have two different types of beds. And again, that just adds another level of enrichment and difference So and choice as well. So I love that something so simple can make such a big difference. Really, and sort of taking that a little bit further, you can even take that into types of litter tray, types of food bowl, chance to choose what does it want, what, what substrate does it want to urinate on, uh, what food does it want at that moment, what type of bowl does it want to eat out, and then if you start, there are times I want to eat off this plate or this plate, um, there are times I want to eat off this toilet or downstairs toilet, it's completely different, what do you feel, Jeffrey Shrag? No, I think I love what you say there in terms of just look at the small details. So like when you wake up, what kind of clothes do you put on? What shoes do you put on? And you might not think of those as big things, but you might go, actually, my feet need a bit more space today or I just need a different kind of feel on my body. And you might change throughout the day your clothing. So choices can be as simple as that. And with our cats and dogs and birds and animals, it can be like you say, um, sometimes what we'll do is have three or four different food dishes that are slightly different and we feed different foods in them. And then after a while, you can have all the dishes out and or you have three dishes out and you can basically say, which dish would you like to go to? And it's an empty dish, but the animals learn to associate um, that dish with a particular kind of food. And um, it could be different flavors of food. And that's the sim another simple way and a fun way for us as well. Um, <laughs> if we have kids, it's just engaging. So, and even I have um, sort of uh, pet fish. A lot of times people think of pet fish as just being in an aquarium, but you can do little things like um, put in a little tunnel one day, take the tunnel out and put something else in the next day. Or even with fish, you can have different kinds of food. So you get frozen foods that you defrost, you can get flake foods, and you can even teach the fish, you put two different colored balls in and or two different shaped objects, and then you feed different foods next to those objects. And then after a while, you put the objects in and whichever the object the fish goes near, that's the kind of food you feed that day. And so um, even fish, you can give choice and uh, control to and they, they learn and you see their character and their personality and all of those things um, sort of appear. And I think for our horsey owners as well, um, those uh, giving different choices, we want to encourage grazing behaviour and natural foraging behaviour. And if you think about a field, all the different choices of herbage you've got in that field, if you can replicate that within your stable environment, allowing that sort of foraging behaviour, but with maybe your clovers, you've got different types of grass, bit of herbage, getting them to have a really good experience, that's another really simple way that doesn't require too much time, isn't a time barrier that will allow you to get choice in your horse's day. And you do that, actually, one of your horses, don't you, Kat? We actually do it with a, a couple of our horses. Um, they, they get uh, bucket lasagnas, which they quite like, which <laughs> awesome. will be sort of different foods with treats. Uh, just to clarify, without pasta. Just without, without pasta, pasta. to clarify. <laughs> but it gives them something that they can uh, snuffle through, if you like, and forage through, and then they can pick out the bits that they particularly want at any particular time during the day. Uh, so it gives them a massive choice there over what they're eating. Um, or we'll spread bits of food around the stable. We're quite lucky where we are in, in terms of the fact the stables are quite large, which is massively important to us, obviously, in the winter when they're on restricted turnout because they're not getting that movement during the day. So, again, we can put small amounts of food, different types of food, dotted around the walls of the stable to encourage them just to have that movement and that foraging searching behavior um, and it, it's what well, we feel it's massively important to our horses to do that because it's a natural behavior and it helps keep them calm and encourages movement as well
Brilliant. And I think it's really important to actually go, almost go back to a point that you made earlier, Shirag, uh, that we're not actually talking about limitless choice. We're talking about the right choice for the right animal. Um, because I think all of us here in this conversation will have seen an animal that just literally has too much choice. Takes you back to the London situation there. Um, and I'm thinking particularly at the moment in my head of a collie that I saw once who loved a ball and his owners then bought him 50. And he was just like, okay, which one do I go for next? And you can sort of see the absolute emotional overload and overwhelm and actually cause that dog to shut down. Um, Shirak, you'll have seen things like that. What would you advise for people? How do people gauge what is right for their dog? So, no, I think that's a really good point. And um, when we think about there's, um, we're not by any means, or I'm not by any means saying um, we all have 100% control and choice all the time. But I think it's looking at where can we add in those small layers or elements of choice and control. And we, when we get our pets, um, we control essentially the the animal doesn't have any choice. The animal doesn't choose to come live with us. Uh, we control if they come live with us. We might look at it as a nice thing. So we might say, well, I rescued him. But the, it's like the human um, situation put the animal in the rescue center in the first place often. Um, and so I think the animals don't choose um, to live with us. They don't get to choose when they eat, what they eat. Um, if they reproduce, if they have access to water, um, if they get social attention. So all the primary things that are basic to an animal's need. So it's not about um, just the animal can do whatever they want, whenever they want. No one really gets to do that. But little things start becoming that because we control so much, just like um, having little options to be able to say yes, no throughout the day can be really empowering, can make us feel more empowered, can make us feel better and depre um, less depressed in situations. And so with our animals, just like if you walk out the house, do you go left or right today? Um, like you mentioned earlier, just little things like having two or three beds around so the animal can choose, oh, it's too hot, I don't want a big fluffy bed, or it's a bit cooler, I want a fluffy bed. That's a simple aspect of choice. And so we're not saying animals need lots and um, lots and lots of choice all the time, but it's whenever you can provide choice. I don't think it's something we should do because we're being nice or kind. We should do it because we've chosen to be a caregiver for um, an organism. And part of that organism's basic need is control. Um, that's what behavior is for. We have behavior because we use it to control the environment and not control in a bad way, but we can switch a light on and off. If I'm cold, I can move to a hot space. If I'm hot, I can move to a cold space. And so it's meeting a basic welfare need. And so I don't think um, when people listen to things, they're like, oh, no, my animal's great. But just because we can keep an animal alive doesn't mean the animal lives a happy life. Doesn't mean the animal lives a life worth living, potentially. Um, and so um, I think it's so important that we think about uh, control and choice in little elements. Um, and like you guys have given some amazing examples with the horses, the dogs and cats. And um, that's why I think I'm so passionate about this is because it means we're meeting a basic need for an animal beyond just feeding them and keeping them alive. Yeah, I think taking that again a little bit further is giving that animal a chance to be an animal. Um, a lot of our animals that we see or people we see have got very strict routines for their animals. Taking your point again is that Monday we go to agility, Tuesday we go to scent work, Wednesday we do this, Thursday do that. And actually, when is that, in this case, obviously a dog, uh, when does that dog have a time to be a dog? And to that's do fulfilling more the owner's needs than the animal's needs. And I think that's a really important part of this is it's giving your pet some choice recognizing that actually there are some boundaries for safety reasons there are there are safe boundaries you're not going to just say run free and off you go um and you're not going to obviously let them eat anything they want to choose to eat because I'm, I'm sure again i'm looking at the spaniel down here i'm sure she would choose to eat everything she's not allowed to eat 
it's, it's, it's making allowing them to have some control is so important. So obviously this is a huge topic, and we obviously want to um, <laughs> keep our listeners because they may decide okay, this is so so much here, and um, and not open, again give our give our owners some choice of actually finding the right resource. Shirag, if people are interested in looking at how they can introduce choice into their animal's life where would you how would they start what's the advice you would give them so i would say um just from a day-to-day perspective maybe sit down and look at writing down or with your family discuss little bit come have a little um like an idea session so you can all throw out little ideas that are really easy and basic that people can do and you just put them down and can even write them down on a little sheet of paper and then put them into a little pot and every day you pick out or every time you've got some few minutes you pick it out of the little uh, fish bowl and have a look at it and it basically gives you a new idea of where you can provide the animal choice so there could be little things you could do there and then there's also other resources like the bucket game um, which is a way of giving animals lots of choice and control while working with them and teaching them things um and so they could look up the bucket game um eva and emily from sweden have what they call start button behaviors and so looking at some of their work um, can give people ideas about um, ways of introducing choice and control sarah fisher who does a lot of uh, groundwork t-touch um, ace uh, type work uh, she talks a lot about also empowering animals and so these are a few names and then they can you can literally just type in um, choice control uh, human behavior animal behavior and lots and lots of stuff will come up on google so um, if you type those things in um, you'll get to see lots of examples the information is out there and obviously if you need some specialist advice Kaz our team are always here to try and we are passionate about choice we are passionate about behavior and uh, so Kaz what will people do um, just give us a call um, or follow the links on our website to email us uh, just tell us what particular area you're interested in. have you got a cat a dog a horse what do you want help with and a member of the team will be straight back in touch with lots of ideas Absolutely. So that's www.oaktreeanimals.org.uk. Um, or do just give us a call and we're more, more than happy to help. And a huge, huge thanks to Shirag, who, bless him, has had to come and sit in the car to do this because he's got some work going on. So this is dedication to behaviour and choice. So, head of choice. so thank you so much for coming to join us on our pet pod today. We are absolutely delighted. Is there anything you'd like to add for any of our listeners at the moment? Just to say thank you so much for having me. And um, I hadn't heard of Oak Tree Animal Rescue before, um, but I've, I was Googling and watching your website and having a look. And I just think you guys do such a, an amazing job. And I love um, the passion for your education and um, outreach type stuff, as opposed to just taking in animals and little things like I saw in your videos about uh, we take in animals, not just to fill every cage in the shelter, but um, to give maybe fewer animals a really good quality of life. And then you help a lot more. And I just think you guys are doing some really, really amazing things. So uh, thank you so much for giving me the uh, privilege to come and chat to you guys today. Oh, that is absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Has there anything you want to add to the power of choice? <laughs> No, I think my choice is to go and have a cup of tea. In which case, let's all choose to go and have a cup of tea and have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time at PetPod. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Bye. You so